The Cal Halbert Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Cal Halbert Podcast. I've turned into Ethel Merman. There's no business. Sorry. Uh, oh, oh, what a lovely day. Hope you're having a lovely day. I am. What a wonderful day. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I might not be having a good day when you're listening to this, but I am having a good day today. So. Anyway, well, if you're not having a good day, you will have a good day because I've got the fantastic Ben Crompton on the show. You'll probably know Ben best from his roles in Game of Thrones, uh, Prem, Face, Man, Stroke, Woman, Ideal. I didn't mention it, but he was on 102 Dalmatians, arguably the better one because there's more dogs in it. Who doesn't like dogs? Hmm. <laughs> I know, if you don't like dogs. Hmm. Ooh, ooh, something's not right, not right at all. I hope you enjoy this show. It's Ben Crompton. Here we go. The Cal Halbert Podcast. So, I'm very pleased to say on the podcast today, the very aptly named The Cal Halbert Podcast, I've got the one, the only, Ben Crompton, everybody. Hiya, Ben. Hiya, Cal. How are you, mate? All right. I'm very good, mate. Very, very good. How have you been? I've been all right. Uh, I've, uh, have I been all right? I've, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been like everybody else, haven't I? Do you know what I mean? Just been cracking on. There's not much you can do with it, is there? No, no, it's it, yeah, it's quite a quite a difficult uh, difficult time at the moment, isn't it? But uh, well, yeah. this is why the podcasts come about. So listen, oh, this, I you're tell you welcome. What, podcast, right? That's what we need—a podcast. Why is nobody doing podcasts? <laughs> they are, aren't they? They are. I like your intro, by the way. Sorry, to sort of peek behind the, the wizard's curtain, um, but I like that you start this with a little clap. I do, I yeah. Showbiz. You went. We'll do a clap and then we'll start. <laughs> That's that just... So when you listen to the audio, you went, that's that. There's a little, I'll know when to start. Or was it just, is it just showbiz is in your veins? Oh, I, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest okay. with you. It's, uh, let's, no, start, well... let's start with a single clap. It's going to be this good. It's <laughs> warrants a single clap. It's very much a case of, right, here we right. go. Oh, is it? Is that what it is? Okay, I like it. No, I, do you know, I never even thought of it. It is simply an audio editing thing where I see the massive spike of the clap and that's go, right, what... okay, okay, that's where the interview starts. <laughs> All, all the stuff before him was preamble. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Ben, most people will probably know you from your roles in uh, Game of Thrones, Manstroke Woman, Pram Face. Uh, but uh, what was your first proper acting job? Uh, the first professional one was uh, I actually got a part in The Thin Blue Line, which was um, uh, a police comedy series, which Ben Elton wrote with Rowan Atkinson. And I actually got it. Um, and my agent rang up and she said, uh, well, you got this party and it's, it's a day and it's the 23rd of July or something like that. And um, but it, it was my graduation day. So it was the day I was supposed to graduate. And um, uh, I said, oh, can I do it another day? And she went, no, of course you can't do it another day. <laughs> They're going to sort of change their whole production uh, setup. Um, so I actually missed my graduation for this day on the Thin Blue Line. But um, it's very exciting. Got to meet Rowan Atkinson. That must have been incredible. It was. It was great. Yeah, it was very, very weird. We we shot it somewhere down south in the home counties. We, we were on some farmland, and there was like this twelve-year-old kid driving us across. It's farm rules, isn't it? <laughs> they let the kids drive. You know, they're driving the jeeps, and some kids, <laughs> some twelve-year-olds driving you across the the farmland um, <laughs> with a fag in their hand. That's what with I a think. fag in their hand. And I'm somewhere there, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, oh, you won't believe what I had in the tractor last week. It was amazing. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, so we did that. So I got to, I got to play. Uh, I got mistaken for Rowan Atkinson's wife as a, a protester. What? Well, I was dressed up as a protester, like one of the, one of those like swampy type creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With tattoos and sort of dirty teeth. First of many for me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, honestly, mate. Uh, so yeah, and he thought I was his wife from behind. Um, and then he spun me around and oh no, it's um, it's a little Amsterdam man with a weird nose um <laughs> so uh, i suppose yeah. that, that's kind of is that a compliment or is a, what that could be a you look like a woman from behind. behind ben how do you feel you about like that a woman behind, but not from the front good god no i <laughs> as anyone as uh as anyone seen my um in an episode of ideal i had to dress up as a woman um uh, in a dream sequence um nightmare mate uh so the chicken fillets and everything i don't make a convincing woman <laughs> that's i trust me i don't anyway so that was my first job the thin blue line and uh we watched it week after week and uh, lo and behold i got cut out so ah. do you still get paid though I did still get paid. There we go. That's what's important. Well, I did, but <laughs> Nothing first... to do with exposure. We don't need that. No. 
No, but what, what was funny is when my agent first said, she said, uh, you know, this is, uh, I'm not going to do the accent again because I'm terrible at accents. Um, she said, uh, it's, um, you know, here's the date. She said, uh, and the fee is £700. Oh. I went, ooh, I think I can get that together. And uh, <laughs> I, I did. But it suddenly was like some actor starting out, I'd have to sort of pay for the opportunity to get the exposure. <laughs> you see why people could take advantage of us. Um <laughs> And then I was like, well, I get £700. Oh, winner, winner, chicken dinner. So, uh, yeah, I got paid £700. That's all right, isn't it? I've yeah, got, I thought I could retire on that. I can't even compute in my head why you'd think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to have to pay to be on this show. Some young, de- desperate. Have I got paid to be on this one? I'm not paying for this, am I? I'm no, much... you're not paying for this one. Oh, you mean on, on a, yeah, on the <laughs> line. Um, uh, I don't know, mate. I just thought, uh, I don't know, naivety, I guess, really. Just the idea, you know, you're just leaving drama school and, you know, you just want that opportunity to sort of... Well, I suppose, leaving drama school, you're so used to forking out money and you're not really sure well, where that... it's going. So... <laughs> I'll, I'll pay to dick around with somebody else, you know what I mean? And the idea to do it on telly, that's like a... You're right, you're forking out, you have to fork out for, you know, for Spotlight and for equity and for... Um, yeah, there's a lot of fees, so I just assumed it was uh, another part of the, the scam. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the scam that is show business, baby. Show business. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of Mr. Bean, and, and well, not just Mr. Bean, mm. but like Rowan Atkinson's work in general. But yeah, were you were you starstruck meeting Rowan Atkinson at all? Yeah, I, wa- I was. A, yes, I was a bit, um, and I didn't have I didn't have loads of interaction. He was very nice, uh, and Ben Elton was there. And I was a big fan of Ben Elton at the mm. time as well because of you know growing up watching Friday and Saturday Night Live on Channel Four and the young ones and everything. Uh, so I was, but it was it was such a brief. It was such a. It was it was in it was one day, mate. It was in and out really. Mm. It was it was it was like that. I got, I got quite starstruck at the the rap party because it was my first rap party and it was at the Groucho Club. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I went down there, but I went there and I didn't know I didn't know anybody because you'd done like a day on it. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, I know. and then I went. I remember going in there and going up to the bar. <laughs> I remember going up to the bar, skint, and just going, uh, "Can I get a beer, please?" And they went, and I was thinking, oh, and I just went, "Is it free?" <laughs> and they went, they went, "You want three? I went, "Yeah." <laughs> I was like. God knows what this is going to cost us. <laughs> anyway, that's why three beers there, wandering around, not knowing anyone like a dickhead. It was free, so. <laughs> oh, get in! That's a win, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I met, I met I do remember, I met, uh, I met Vic Reeves that night as well. Right, and yeah, that yeah. was star- I was very starstruck then because a big Vic Reeves fan. I do remember as well going. If a bomb goes off now, the last person Vic Reeves speaks to is me. Just <laughs> a weird sort of thought. Just listen to what he's saying, Ben. Just listen. <laughs> Instead of having weird sort of, you know, tangents off in your own head. <laughs> have you worked with Vic or Rowan since that that job? Uh, have I? Um, no, I've met Vic a few times. I'm, I'm, I met for Catterick. I was up for the Reece Shearsmith part. Yeah. In that. And to be fair, it went really well. It was because, trust me, there's plenty of auditions I've done where I've walked out and gone, well, I wouldn't give me that. That's awful. <laughs> but that was, it was actually all right, mate, and it was nice. Uh, and I've met him like a couple of things, like you know, art gallery openings and stuff like that. But no, I've not, I've not worked with them since. Love to, I think they're brilliant. Let's go back to you, the ideas of the audition where you say you walk out and you go, "Well, I wouldn't give me that." I suppose, oh, yeah. like, I know a lot of people that have such anxiety just going for a job interview, which is just, which could only be maybe one, two in their entire life they'd have a job interview and then that's it. But as an actor, you're essentially having a job interview. Okay, it's, it is an audition, but you're having a job interview for, what, what, sometimes two or three times a day, let alone a week. You are, yeah, especially especially when you're starting out. And um, uh, some of them are fun, but some of them, it's a question of like leaving your dignity at the door a bit. Mm. That's particularly the case with adverts. Um, you know, you're going in and, and you know, doing a shaving advert. And they go, you just take your top off and you're miming, shaving. And then there was one audition, remember, where you had to go in and, and there was a, they had a girl there. Like, right, you're in a nightclub and it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful woman. And she said, right, no, start chatting her up. And, but you're not, you're just supposed to do your best chat up line sober in the middle of this little studio with like five other people watching on. I was like, I wouldn't chat anybody up anyway. I just, you know, I wouldn't. Do you like this face? Of course you don't. Don't run away. You know, so, so the idea of going up, I've got nothing. I just think I went up and went, oh, you smell of porridge, which was, 
it was, a, it was somebody else's chat up line I'd heard, and you know, I didn't get the gig, mate. Did you get the girl though? That's what's important. I got, I got the girl. Yeah, oh, no one yeah. can resist. Oh, what, a, what a Hollywood ending! I, I tell um, you what, Ben. If someone came up to me and went, "Whoa, you smell of porridge," I'm theirs. Do you know? You're there. <laughs> Somebody had said they used it once, but they were a very handsome person in the first place. So I think, no matter what they'd said, really. <laughs> Weird. Um, yeah, it's very odd. You just have to. You, it, it, sometimes you're asked to do such odd things in 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 auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But there is a thing, it's kind of odd. It's always good to meet the director in the room, I think, because there's a a lot of self-tapes now, I think. Yeah. Well, even more so now, isn't it? Even more so, yeah. And that is something that's changed, is that you can put yourself on tape. Now, there's a convenience with that, obviously, where you you can do it from your own room and you can edit it down to get to the version that you want. But there's something really beneficial about meeting a director in the room. You know, you've got means travelling down, spending the day travelling to London and back sometimes. But you get to have that connection and they, you know, they can sort of go, can you do it a bit more light? And you're not, you're not second guessing what they want. And that is quite nice. Actually, if you're good at taking direction and if you're open to a few ideas, it, it you know, it's, it can be a nice experience auditions. Do you ever find yourself, cause I have this when I'm doing voiceovers and stuff where I could be with the director where sometimes they're a bit of a hindrance um, where you go, right. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know what we've, <laughs> Oh, come and have a look at this lovely car, and they'll say, "Oh, could you could you go up on car?" And they yeah. go, "Oh, come and have a look at this lovely car." And you go, "They give you all these different bits of feedback," and you go, "Oh, so you want me to do what I did the first time I did it? Great." Yeah, that's the thing when people overdirect sometimes, and you actually you get hemmed down and you're focused on such a, a, a little inflection here or there that actually you become inhibited. And I think, like anything, when you're you know, when you're acting or when you're doing stand-up, the more confident, the more uninhibited you are, the better the result. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's always interesting. Because, I mean, I, I, uh, there's something my agent told us, you know, early doors, which is sometimes you go when you go for a job, you start out, you're, quite, you're just desperate for the work, really. Of course. The thing is, sometimes it's worth meeting the director because you want to know whether you want to work with them as much as they want to work with you, which the further on in your career and the more experience, the more credits you have to your name, the more people know you, 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 that probably is more the case when you can say, oh, I don't know if I want to work with them. When you're younger, obviously, you need to get the, you know, the exposure and, and, um, and, and the work. But, um, yeah, there's something in that. Sometimes people just don't click. Mm. No, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Tell me a bit about Ideal. How did you get into, into that role? Did you know uh, Johnny Vegas and the other guys involved beforehand, or did you just go for an audition? It was just an audition, actually. Um, Tracy Gillen, and um, it was weird because I must have I must have been I'd left drama school about six, eight years or something then, and I'd got into this. Apart from the Thin Blue Line. Everything since then was like your standard, uh, your drama, you know, you're like your silent witness and your, um, oh, did he do it? Uh, oh, no, red herring, you know, and uh, mate of, you know, intense sort of little mank. And I really wanted to do comedy. So that was the first, that was the first, first comedy job I got. Yeah, and I, met, I went and I met Graham Duff. Uh, and it was really weird because my character, Colin, uh, if anybody doesn't know it, Ideal is set in, a, in a, a, a flat in Salford. Johnny Vegas plays a small-time drug dealer. And there's all these odd characters that come, on, come in and out. And it was packed, uh, for the most part, with actual with stand-ups, which is you know quite unusual. They've got a lot of stand-ups in to do it. Um, and uh, Colin's catchphrase is, I'm on probation. <laughs> So it's, it was, you know, it, it was that way of making that catchphrase seem like it was fresh, like it was coming out of him all the time. And, yeah. and so I made him a bit of speed. Like, I'm, on, I'm on probation. Like it was an interesting bit of information. <laughs> like, I can't do it because I'm, I'm on probation. You know, <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, it went really well. So that was that was good. I got that. Um, but it was it was odd. I remember the night before being in the hotel and they sent out a letter and they were talking about the tone of the show and they wanted it to be very sort of naturalistic. Mm-hmm. And they talked about it as being, uh, there was three shows. One was the Royal Family. Right. One was uh, 15 Stories High. Have you seen that? I haven't Which, actually. I haven't. Uh, it's one of the most, and it's only seen, it's like one of the most underrated sitcoms there is. Sean Locke uh, and Benny Wong. It's brilliant. And anybody listening, if you've not seen it, go and see 15 Stories High. And there's another one which I can't remember, but these are very sort of low-key, natural, you know, sounding comedies. 
Uh, and I went in on that first day, and it was like a cartoon character. And I was like, how you doing? Ah, that's right. Smash yourself. Yeah. Stick a glass in your face. <laughs> and uh, I was gutted. I remember coming away and going to the Lassa Gallery, and I was, I was gutted because there's something before that first day of filming, it's like Schrodinger's box and anything. Is that the one? Schrodinger's box? That's the one, isn't it? Isn't yeah. It Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's cat. That's right. I'm getting, yeah. I'm thinking of Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Schrodinger's box and Pandora's cat. Yes, um, <laughs> Pandora's cat. That's uh... it's Sunday morning, mate. I've not woken up. Um, yeah, Schrodinger's... <laughs> Schrodinger. Schrodinger. Oh, I wish I'd not even gone there now. Anyway, <laughs> so before before yeah, you film, what, there's enough room to swing swing Pandora's swing cat around the Schrodinger's yeah. box. <laughs> Will it hit the wall or not? We don't know. Up until this point. Um, so I uh, there's there's a point before you start. Anything is possible. You know, before you commit yourself to that first day's filming, you, you can still change it. Once you do that first day of filming, you've kind of committed to the character there a little bit. Right. Okay. Uh, and tonally, this it, this was much larger than, than I'd want it to have been. But um, uh, it was great. It was a, it was it was a great job. I'm rarely satisfied with what I do anyway. Is is there a fear on your first day on set? In that obviously you've got to make good impressions with people and stuff and. Is there a difference between the two roles? So, like you said, you went in like a cartoon character, like I ain't Mars and all this sort of stuff. But yeah. is there is it difficult to switch from the character to to you? Because you could be playing. A, I'm not saying particularly that role, but in general, you could be playing a, a really irritating neighbour or an irritating friend that's everywhere. Um, but then you want to kind of leave that on the set so people yeah. still like you and want to spend yeah, time yeah. with you. Is it yeah. difficult to kind of separate that? Um, yeah, it's funny. There are some characters which you can jump into. You can almost, there's not almost switching off. I have a little, little lead up time. Sometimes I like, it's lovely to have a bit of a laugh on set. You know, that's what I, I miss that a lot. I mean, yeah. because it's, it's, it's lovely being on set and a job you love and having a laugh. But, there's a point where you go, actually, I just need to just take myself away and start to gear up. There's little sort of little sort of knobs and switches that you need to turn on uh, to, you know, holding your hand a certain way. Or if you're doing an accent, try and get into that or where you hold yourself and you or get yourself into a different energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. It's quite it's quite subtle, but there's there's little things which you, you do to sort of uh, get yourself geared up. My, I mean, if you work if you're working with Mike Lee, which which I did a couple of times, that's very different. Um, he's very much about separating the actor and the character, right? And if you ever talk about, you know, like in the rehearsal process, if you ever said, "Oh, I was doing this," he gets very cross. He's like, "No, you weren't doing that. Your character. You have to call the character by the name." So he's very clear in making that distinction that there, there is there is the actor and there is the character, right? Whereas, okay, um, but. Um, I mean, I, I think I think I agree with him. However, probably not to the extent of which he was going there. <laughs> no, no. And there's, 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 there are jobs like that. I try, I try and you know make a distinction between you know between me and, and character. And uh, there are some when when the further I did a, uh, I did a Peter Pan and I played this pirate. Mm-hmm. And um, but he had like he had like uh, initially he had a wooden leg and they they went that's a bit too much. So instead. Instead, they gave him uh, they gave him a hunchback and an eye patch. Well, that's just asking for trouble, isn't it? So I was like, oh yeah, 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 no, no, no. In fact, I kind of channeled. You kind of borrow a little bit sometimes. I kind of channeled a bit. Do you know Trevor Peacock's character in uh, the Vicar of Dibley? No, 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 yes, no, yeah. no, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of I had him like that. I kind of channeled that into a pirate version. I had him stooped, and he was like almost like swinging into the room, you know, like a, like a gorilla. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was a small part. There's no small part. This part. Became like huge, <laughs> and I, I loved doing it. I just loved because it was a proper character to get your teeth into. You know, there's a real switch, and um, you you can't do that so much when you're doing like Silent Witness, and the you know, and if, if you're doing, I'm not having a go at Silent Witness, but there was sometimes these Sunday night televisions are quite formulaic, and you're yes. there to play a character. You know, this is a a, a suspect here. There's not much, and here's a bit of exposition. You can't really get your teeth into it. Yeah. You're just going to make it sound as real as possible, you know. But when you get a nice character with some really good, you know, it's that's that's fun, mate. That's the fun bit. 
Well, we'll get on to Game of Thrones shortly, but my favourite role that, you, that you've done was Keith in Pramface. I absolutely <laughs> yeah. adored Pramface. It made me laugh so much. And there's a particular scene I always remember where Keith ended, <laughs> ended up working on a, was it a sex chat line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. That's right. Yeah. But he didn't know it was going to be a sex chat line. Yeah, he had no idea. And I remember having tears coming down my face in the... Keith was delivering <laughs> delivering this speech and what he would do to a, another person so calmly and uh, and, <laughs> and lovely. <laughs> well, that was uh, I mean, I loved him. There's some jobs you just they click. Uh, they they just they just fit. And that that was one of those jobs. Pram face. And it was shot up in Edinburgh. Yes, and that was great because obviously we're in Newcastle. And, you know, it's an hour and a half of the train, and uh, and it was uh, working with. He was working with Dan Zeff initially, who I'd worked with on um, uh, on Ideal, mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of it kind, parts of Keith were actually <laughs> based on my dad. Um, I kind of got him. He was he was um, he was a character I really got. He was he was really likable, but a bit old, a bit old fashioned. Yeah, but you know, amiable, trying to be a, a good parent and stuff, and. Uh, Got into some scrapes, Is that <laughs> but the, the the sex chat line thing was 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 really was a lot of fun, and uh, obviously because it was very it was very funny. The script was very funny as well, and that, again there was there was a day on that though where I was just there was there was a scene where they just let it roll, and I was sort of adding bits of you know pieces in, and they they cut it together with all the you know get more and more lost in this chat where he's completely out of his depth. <laughs> Of course, right? Because he was he he ended up getting like five star rating for being the regular bloke next door chap. Yeah, he that's did. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, that's right. And it was Tracy Ann Oberman who was the who was the boss of the sex chat line. I remember it now. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah. Oh, it was a very very funny funny hit. And what I liked about Keith is he was the exact opposite of Angus Deaton, who was um, your son Jamie's girlfriend's dad. Right, uh, so yeah. the opposite in-laws, you were just completely different. And totally. I I just absolutely loved the chemistry between you two. It was lovely that. And I, I kind of thought that was one of those jobs. Yeah, we were playing like, you know, like we were like the more working class family. Mm-hmm. And it was Angus. It was me and Brona Gallo, who's, you know, who's fantastic. fantastic. Normally, you know, she's from the commitments. And she's a brilliant singer as well. And Angus and Anna Chancellor playing, playing the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the more middle class parents and I kind of thought I thought I don't know if me and Angus are going to click because he's very dry and sort of you know more footlights sort of got a footlights vibe about him yeah he's very funny man we got on really well uh especially that especially when we had that um the episode in the second series where I ended up working for him and um yeah uh, I was his driver (laughs) (laughs) it was he was lovely he's um he's uh he's he's very funny I like that dynamic as well the funny thing about that job as well is I remember getting the job and I was 36 and I was playing a granddad. And I'd sort of I'd gone from playing Scallies and you know best mates to like granddads. I was like, am I getting a leading man period? I'm not, am I? No, I'm going straight to granddads at 36. Oh well, it was a nice dream. <laughs> I was like, fine, I will do that. It was a great. What's lovely about that? It was really nice um, because there was uh, the Sean and Scarlett who played. Sean played my son in that, and Scarlett, and uh, they ended up getting together in real life. Did they? Yeah, they did. And um, and my mate, my best mate Sean, was coming out of Lewisham Hospital. The doors opened at Lewisham Hospital, and there was Sean and Scarlett with a baby in their hand. They just had their baby, and he was like, "Ah, uh, uh, "Does not compute real life." It was kind of like they just walked off the TV set, and uh, they'd had their, they've got they've got kids now. It's lovely. It's kind of That's nice. fantastic. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe you've told me this story. Where did you not film your self tape for Game of Thrones while filming Pramface? I did, mate. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I actually, yeah, with Sean, who uh, Sean Veary, who, who played my son Jamie uh, in the three way, um, and with Game of Thrones, they sent. They often do this with auditions. Is they'll they'll have a piece set out specifically for a character, uh, for an actor to audition with. Mm-hmm. This was <laughs> when I got the, the pages through. It was like four pages of like a you know me and Samuel Tarley chatting. I'm thinking this is a decent part. Yeah. Of course, then you go, 
this is just for the audition, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I never, I never saw four pages of uh, you know dialogue again. Um, but yeah, we 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 recorded that uh, with Sean playing Samwell, and um, that was the first that was the first audition. There was I don't know, it was what was that the second? There was I had about four auditions for it in the end though. Yeah. Which is quite a lot. It's quite unusual. It must have been incredible because you joined in series two, didn't you? I did, yeah. Because my partner's a huge fan of Game of Thrones. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'd never watched it until I think the final series came out because I thought, well, I'm not going to bother waiting until I can just binge all of it rather than yeah. get to the end of the fi- the second to last season and go, what, I've got to wait a year for the final? <laughs> I'm not having this. <laughs> so I... Uh, I held my time and uh, waited for the final season to be out. And I must have done my partner's head in through the first series because I kept going, where's Ben? Where's, uh, <laughs> when does Ben come in? And he kept yeah. going, second series. I went, all right, okay. okay. <laughs> I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I'd not seen him when I, when I went for the audition. So I didn't have a clue what it was about. You know, there's telling me there's a, you're on the wall. I'm like, what wall? Is it a neighbour's wall? Whose wall am I on? What year is this? 1843. What is going on here? Something, <laughs> something about potatoes. I had to get some potatoes or something. And there was the, the, there was the. In fact, it was my first scene in it, which is about farting when uh, you fart when you die. You know, and I had a, I had a little, you know, which they kept in. Um, so it, it's, um, yeah, I didn't really know what was going on really, and and I, I watched the first one online, and it took me a few episodes to really to go oh okay okay i get this world now and there's yeah. all these different families and the you know but once you're on board it's great i think oh, i do think, i think for some people i think you, you need to give about three episodes to really it's really click and then and then you're in it's quite an experience that but i nearly sat i nearly sat that off i nearly said no to that really why yes because i'm an idiot uh, <laughs> <laughs> so i well because but well, uh, because show doing, in the world ben but it wasn't at the time. That's what I mean. Yeah, and, and it was. It was. Um, I was doing that, and oh, that was it. I'd been booked on this thing called Hit and Miss, right? Which was a Paul Abbott piece for Sky Six Parter, and it was. Um, it was Chloe Savigny was playing a transgender hit woman, hence Hit and Miss. <laughs> you know, that's a show that almost writes itself. You can almost start with the title there, can't you? <laughs> hit woman and a miss, Hit and Miss. It was a really. It was a really good. Um, uh, it was a really good show, actually. Um, and I was booked for the whole thing, which is unusual. Sometimes they book you just for your block of time, going, right, you've got three weeks here, mm-hmm. and then a month later, you're coming back in for a month. But because the schedule's all over the shop, I was booked for like a good five, six months. Right. And, oh, brilliant, I had no lines as well. I was playing somebody who was mute. So um, <laughs> uh, one of the best paid jobs I had. It's great. Um, so I was doing that and I was doing pram face and it just seemed logistically like it was going to be a nightmare to fit it in. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is just going to be some background character. He's not going to have anything to do. So I said to my agent, I said, I said, you know what? I said, look, if it's not, let's just sack it off. I said, I said, it's just, it sounds like it's going to be a hassle. She went, well, no, let's see if it works. Went, no, it just sounds like a hassle. Let's leave it. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, thankfully she went, no, I'm going to go back and see if this can work. <laughs> Um, so my laziness nearly, you know, I missed out on the biggest job I've you know, done. Um, so, uh, yes, it, it did work out. Where was the majority of Thrones filmed? Is it Iceland? No, most of it's based in, uh, in Northern Ireland. And actually the studios, the paint hall, the paint hall is based in Belfast. Um, so we would stay in the hotels uh, in Belfast and all the, all the interiors, or the paint hall studios, these these huge studios there. Uh, and then there are certain places where we would go out for to minute drive out of Belfast. Uh, there's a Macramon, which is a quarry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, that was used for Hard Home and for the Battle of Blackwater. Uh, and there's, oh, Castle Black's based up there as well. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Castle Black, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, the set there, because it's a, it's a proper you know, set which you can inhabit. And you walk in Castle Black. That was always a lovely moment when you come back after it for the next series and you walk onto Castle Black and they'd set the braziers up and the smoke machines and just the mud there and you're going, yeah, right, we're home. It's yeah. lovely. Yeah, you, 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 
you felt like you were backing it then? I think it's something that I, I really do miss in that it's I, recently there was something saying that um, is, I think uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is having a prequel or something like that. I saw in the oh, news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so uh, with Bonkers, yeah, backstory or something. Yeah, yeah. something like that. And um, to me, I, I think it's going to be. I'm going to be disappointed because the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with Gene Wilder, I adore. And one of the yeah. things that I love about it is they had to build that set. They had to build right. everything. There's, there was somebody having to make giant lollipops for people to to yeah. eat. And someone yeah. had to make a, a teacup out of edible plastic. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> do you know? They had to yeah. make this. Whereas when Johnny Depp did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory... You could tell it was all CGI'd and and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And there there must be something huge about going on to a proper set rather than a minimal set. Oh, there is. It's, it's yeah. I've, I've done very little green screen. I've done bits of green screen. It's never the it's never the same, and uh, you're never quite sure where where your eyes are looking. Mm. Um, but the, the, I mean, I think. Game of Thrones married the two together brilliantly because obviously there is a lot of CGI in there. Of course. But there is a, a lot of, you know, actual fan, you know, the set work is brilliant. You know, hard home. We, I mean, hard home, we're, 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 where all the, the whites are chasing us and, um, you know, we're pelting it down and we, we, we are running and jumping off that little jetty into the boat and then sailing out, you know. And then, of course, they CGI in all, all the, all the you know, the, the, the undead as well, you know, give them extra effects. And, um, that's it, I think. And I when you I think people need to use CGI to enhance things. Because it is, it's a it's like the Star Wars prequels for me. There's such mm-hmm. there's such a flat experience. That's the, the main thing, I think, for those prequels, you know, the Phantom Menace through to Revenge of Sith, is it's they feel much flatter. You know, and whatever you think of the of the of the of the, of the new ones, the rise of Skywalker and that is they, they feel a lot more three D to me because they were mm-hmm. there's you know No, no, I, I, I do agree with you. And I what I don't like is when everything's CGI'd and stuff like that. And no. uh, I had a couple of friends of mine that were working on the Avengers film down at um, Durham Cathedral. Um, oh yeah. And they said they just had green screens everywhere and they said there's no yeah. there's absolutely no reason for you to be here. Yeah, you, know, you could have done this in a garage somewhere. There's, you yeah, don't need to be yeah, in yeah. Durham Cathedral at all. No, no, yeah. I, I did. What, we did a Terry Pratchett thing called. Um, come on, Ben, you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say the color of magic, and I went, "You weren't in that song. Uh, <laughs> that's somebody else." Was I in that? Am I getting to that stage? Was I in that? Uh, I've not got to that stage yet. It, um, I've got to that stage where, you know, sorry, because people, everyone used to think I was in Shameless. Yeah. Uh, not everyone, but the amount of times I got that, and I, I, you know, I did nearly get into a fight once with somebody because they went, all oh, right, mate, you're in Shameless. I went, oh, no, that wasn't me. I went, yeah, it was. I went, no, it wasn't me. I went, it, it was. I went, all right. <laughs> Hi, mate. Um, what we had, Terry Pratchett. Yes, I did one of those, and that there was a bit of green screen with that. I remember that was the first time with green screen and thinking, oh, this isn't, this isn't much fun. There was there was a bit of green. I mean, I did actually do a bit of green screen on Thrones. There, there, there was there was a bit of that, uh, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. But it's it's how it is. It's how filmmaking is now. So you just have to. I mean, that's a skill. That's that that's kind of a that's the thing with acting. Sometimes is you 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 just have to pick up these. It's kind of there are skills. You know, people, some people call it a craft. Mm-hmm. Some people call it art. But there are that's the, one of the craft elements. Sort of, you know, knowing when how green screen and cgi works and yeah. you know you just do it through practice i know you did an episode of um doctor who that must have had a lot of green screen uh i'm trying did it have a lot of green screen um no it didn't but i was in it so briefly mate that's you know there's there was um no but again there there was a there was a, an incident where because i got i got exterminated by Dalek antibodies. I was quite buzzing because I'm a bit, of, a bit of a nerd like that, and I was like, "Oh, what a way to go, yeah. Dalek! I've been killed by a Dalek antibody." But there was a moment where, where, where they all rush in, and I had to get, I had to look at this thing buzzing around my head, uh, which wasn't there. Um, but no, that was that was old school set work. That was very, that was a very exciting uh, few days. That because Fantastic. they built the set, and it was like. The set they'd used for that had a sort of Star Wars feel about it, like around the, the corridors of the Death Star. Yes. So I got very e- excited about that. And that was Ben Wheatley who directed the episode, who I'd met on uh, – he'd done – he'd also directed Ideal. And he was out – I was out doing Game of Thrones, and he was in Belfast doing a recce 
for what eventually was, I think if when he did the film High Rise, he was checking out locations for that. And we met in the in in the bar and we just chatting. I said, You're doing Doctor Who, aren't you? I don't normally do this. Yeah. But I was like, my son was a massive Doctor Who fan. So I did say, Listen, is there is there anything in it for us? And he went, I'm not sure. I said, there might be. It would only be small. So it's fine. Just because my son can't watch anything a minute at the minute. And he's a massive Doctor Who fan. So if you can get us on that, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. And he came through with this this little Effectively, it was a red shirt from Star Trek. You know what I mean? <laughs> Turn up on the location to be dispensed. Oh, no, there's danger here. That guy we just met five minutes ago is dead. Um, so that's what I played in that. Um, and um, and that kind of back... I, I, I remember when it was on, because they used to show a little clip of the episode, uh, of next week's episode at the end of... And each episode, they'd show a preview of the next week's. Yeah. And we watched Doctor Who, and then the preview of the next week came on, and I was there, and my son, who was six at the time, was so excited, so excited. And then next week came, and it came on television, and he said, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> Five minutes later, I was obliterated and burst into tears, oh. and it was inconsolable. <laughs> Yeah. Went from best to worst. Like, hey, you've just seen your dad turn to dust, and at six you can't quite compute that image, uh, and it's not real. <laughs> there, you go, there you go. He's over it now, hopefully. <laughs> Tell me a bit about how you got into stand-up, Ben, because you mentioned on Ideal you were mixing with loads of loads of stand-ups. There were so many stand-ups on the set, uh, but now now you perform stand-up yourself as well. Yeah, well, that was, I mean, because when we, when we do Ideal, Ideal started 2004. I'm quite, uh, da, da, da. I sort of, I'm quite shy sometimes when I get a job. Um, so I didn't really, I was quite quiet for the first series. Um, and then the second series, I really started clicking. Me and Johnny really started clicking on that. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. And that, that, it's, it's that thing often. I feel, do you know what? There's a few stand-ups as well who are um, taking this to extreme are, almost cripplingly shy uh, and actually they're they've got they're extremely intelligent and they've got lots to say and their mind works at very you know a uh, great speed yeah andrew lawrence uh, now andrew lawrence um he was actually on ideal he came into ideal a, a, a bit later mm-hmm. uh, and he was so shy i mean um the, the shyest person and we try and coax him to sort of you know chat and have a bit of a bit of a laugh because it was a it was a really fun set and everyone was dead nice but he didn't really sort of take to it but if you see him on stage he's got a lot to see you know what i mean he's very confident on stage yeah, yeah. you know uh, uh, and and you wouldn't have known it from 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 trying to engage with him or anything um but anyway yeah you're asking about stand-up and, and that so actually um jo- johnny was very encouraging to me he he said you should do stand-up um, because I know how to make him laugh, but that's because you relax, and it's a different thing making your mates laugh. And he's uh, and it was nice because he was he was he was very encouraging. And he said a lot of people think they can do stand up, yeah, but they can't. They're just because they're funny, they can't. He said, but I think you'd be able to do it. Yeah. So I had him and a couple of other mates. Alfie Joey, our mate Alfie, was very encouraging as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, who actually you did a, a short film that I love as well. Is it called Wheels? Where you're in a doctor's. Next. Legs, legs. See, you went for one or the other. Yes, I thought it's one or the yeah, other. I'll legs, go for that. Yeah, yeah. Legs. It's Schrodinger's cat, mate. Uh, but it's, you know. Uh, yeah, Pandora's it's, yeah. dog. That's what it is. It's, uh... That's the one. Yeah. No, I did that with Alfie. So they were. There was, so actually, I, I kind of. Oh, actually, there was a night. Uh, there was an ideal night at the Frog and Bucket mm-hmm. uh, where we all got very drunk and we were trying to raise some money. And a lot of the, the ideal cast got on stage. Pete Slater um, and did a bit. And then Johnny said, "Because I used to do on set, I used to make him laugh by doing it in- impressions of him. Uh, you know, PG Chicks, Jackamo, sell me ass for money." Um, but funnier and um, and he said he came on he's, and he was pissed he went come on come on just go on as me I went oh no so he got me on I did like two minutes as him totally unprepared but otherwise I kind of cheated my first gig was a bit of a cheat because um, uh, Northern Stage did these nights called First in Three mm-hmm. where it was um, in Stage Three and it was the first time you try stuff out people try out poetry people try out bits of theatre and so I wrote <laughs> My first, I wrote a 25-minute piece. Um, 25? 25 minute, yeah. And it was called, uh, is it Northern Thing? So, which is because, like, Liv, I'd say something like that. Because Liv, he misses, is from Belgium. And, uh, like, when we first met, she didn't know who Ken and Deirdre Barlow were. And I was like, what 
what is going on here? And I'd say something like, right, I'm going to do this, you know, or I was just going to wash my hands. And she'd say like, is, is this a Northern thing? I'm like, no, I'm just going to wash my hands. It's not, a, it's just a normal <laughs> thing. Everything isn't a part of my Northern culture. Is that a Northern thing? So I did it about being from the North and, um, you know, I, I tied it up with like music fading at the end with the stone rose in the, it was always like a little mini Edinburgh show with a little sort of arc and everything. Yeah. Um, so with that, obviously, I, there was a there was a space for a bit of storytelling within the within the the joke. So um, so and it was a safe it was a safe space, and that you, there's you know there's more theatre types, and they're very encouraging, and they leave little notes of feedback at the end. So that's that was my first one, but my second one, I, I also did the first in three, and um, what I did then was I thought, well, I can't do any of the <laughs> the other stuff because somebody might turn who's seen it. Yeah. So I wrote a half-hour bit, bit <laughs> on, on television. So for my first two gigs, I kind of wrote fifty-five minutes. Um, I mean, and then for, I... for those for those that don't know, that is ludicrous, right? You don't do that. <laughs> you you start on five, and then you build up to ten, and then you kind of hover around the ten to fifteen mark for a while while you try and get that perfect perfected, yeah. and then you get your twenty twenty-five club set, and then your big ones an hour. That's that's what yeah. you do, and you've done that in two gigs. <laughs> I did that in two gigs. But anybody who's seen us in subsequent years uh, knows that quite quickly I realised that you can get a nice 15, 20 minutes and do that for a good year or five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I go, I've seen that bit before. Is that your uh, OCD doodle? One, two, three. Um, <laughs> no, and, and Alfie said also, you know, he sort of, he said there's some stuff which you, if you sort of cut it down, work really well on a on a you know on a, on a night out on a on a, on a, on a comedy club. And so you realise to sort of cut cut stuff down. And actually, I, 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 you know, you cut stuff right down and, and use the best bits, don't you realize? Mm-hmm. And you have little chunks and you have bits that you can go, I'll use that bit tonight, I'll use that bit. And you have sometimes you have some sort of structure yeah. and you can slot in new bits here and there and leave a little bit of space to ad lib. But um, yes, yeah, so that was my first two. I think I should. And actually, this is the weird thing. I kind of have this sense of um, uh, stand up being, being something pure about it. So yeah. I'd sort of I'd try, I'd try and move away from the storytelling. And actually, as I've gone on, I've realised I'm actually quite good at storytelling. Yes. Um, you know what I mean? I've, I've, I'm sort of a right and uh, I, I'm used to being narrative. I'm used to being in television and film and working with a narrative. And uh, so actually, I think I'm going to go back to that. And I, because I, often with stand-up, I get frightened of the silence. Oh, don't uh, we all? <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. I'm not talking about the uh, the, the creatures from the... From Doctor Who, I'm talking about that science, and, and that's the thing. And, and even though people have told us Johnny's, I mean Johnny's really good at that. He doesn't. He's not afraid of silence. No, he will sit there. For me, um, a second or two silence feels like a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to fill it. And really, because my brain works at such a speed, I don't. It's partly to do with the Tourette's or something that it works so fast. I, I kind of read this. My, my, my missus is um, read a book about Tourette's recently where this guy articulated it, that, that he basically, he, he's already at the end of somebody else's sentence or thought, and he's going, yeah, 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 no, I get it, I get, I get it, I get it. And he's sort of rushing, rushing to get to the end. Time, it feels so, so fast. Yeah. Um, and I feel that on, on stage sometimes. And, and actually, what you need to do is just sit back into it sometimes. Those thoughts are still going to come. You just need to go, I've got the comeback for that. Just let it, let it sit. Yes. But I still, it'll I, I mean, worth, I know, it'd be worth it if you let it sit. You, you know, it will. You know, it works better when you come. do it's leave. It. Dream. If you build it, they will come, or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's that, it's trusting. It's having a bit of trust in 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 your own skills. I still haven't, I still haven't mastered that. I still like to race through stuff. Really, tell me a bit about the the Christmas present, which was your Radio Four play that you you wrote. Um, yeah, that that would was that a year ago now. 2019 Christmas, yeah. But I, I had the idea the year before, but uh, with Radio 4, the afternoon play slot is, I mean, there's only, you know, certain, man, Randy, there's five, five days a week, but the Christmas slot is is obviously, when if you're writing a Christmas piece, it's a much smaller slot. So um, the, the Christmas 2018 slot had gone yeah. when I had the idea. So we were writing for the following year. So I had pr- plenty of lead up. I was working with Nadia Malinari, who is a brilliant uh, Radio 4 producer. 
and I he produced my previous two plays, which I'd done a couple of other ones. One about uh, one about one was called Neurotics Anonymous, which was about uh, a, a group of people who meet with different neurological conditions like OCD and paranoia and you know Tourette's and stuff. Write about what you know. I did, <laughs> uh, and the first one was just like a shaggy dog story about two mates who uh, start a dog walking uh, service and uh, end up killing the local gangsters. Job. It was like an episode of Shameless or something. <laughs> anyway, that's not what you asked. You were talking about the Christmas present. Right, stay on <laughs> Too late. Okay. So the Christmas present, yeah. And I'd had this idea. I'd always wanted to write a Christmas uh, a Christmas show or story. And I had this idea where I was like, oh, my God, what if? It was like, basically, it was a mix of big meets It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. So it was the idea that what if this bloke who wanted to be just wanted to get escape from everything and all the hassle of life and Christmas. And he just wished he was a little boy again. And then he met somebody who looked like Father Christmas. Uh, and then he woke up the next day and he was a little boy. Uh, so he went back and he got to meet his family uh, and see life from their perspective. And, uh, you know, ultimately rediscover the magic of Christmas. So that was the premise. And um, yeah, we recorded that. And there was a part in it I ended up narrating it, being the old Stephen. Uh, of course, one of the main parts was the young Stephen. So uh, I got my son in to do that. Fantastic. Yeah, which was great. I mean, it was lovely. It was lovely working with him, and he was he was he, he was really good. He was was really pr- proud of him. He, he was really good in it. So much so that off the back of it, he got another job. So he, he was you know somebody heard him and they got him back in two months later. Uh, Fantastic. So I was back in in the studio. He, in fact, he worked more than me that year. <laughs> Uh, it was kind of weird going in being like the, being the dad, being like the chaperone. Like, they need you in studio now, son. Yeah. Did you need anything? I'll get you. <laughs> I'm not working at the minute. No, no, not, not, no. So, Can I lend a tenner? Can I lend, lend, lend us a tenner with you, son? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's next for you, Ben? I know you work with uh, quite closely with your, your wife's company, Ballet Laurent, and you've done some incredible things over the past uh, few months during the lockdown and stuff. So so what's next? What's next is, uh, well, because the we're Lost Happy Endings were supposed to be on tour and because that hasn't happened, one, one of the things we did was we went to the Theatre Royal and uh, I directed a film there. Of this, is, this is with Ballet Laurent? This it? is with Ballet Laurent, yes. And um, we... I had two weeks on the stage uh, and we recorded it. And of course, we got on the stage, we got in there and we tried to make it as much of a film rather than just a recording of a show. That's currently on Marquee TV, which is at this arts streaming thing where they have um, opera and things, things that I wouldn't normally watch. Um, <laughs> Theatre, things like that. Theatre, love. Theatre. Um, very highbrow. But we're on there and it's very, it's, it's a great, it's a lovely it's a lovely story and it's a lovely piece so we did that that was a good bit of work and we're trying to make digital content we did some little things for christmas and now we're working on some solos so we're doing some more filming and editing of that uh uh doing a thing called the stress ball which is apt for the minute it's people dealing with the stresses at the minute uh um of of the current situation and i have decided to uh, write some scripts um, some more scripts. Um, I've downloaded Final Draft, Cal. Um, so, but um, so that's it, really. I've downloaded it, and um, you know, I kind of just well, that's half, that's half the job, <laughs> isn't it? Really? Once I downloaded it, I was a bit like, right, well, there you go. I'm on my way. It's like, oh, I've got to actually write something now. <laughs> so I'm writing a. I'm, I'm going to write. I'm, I'm writing. Um, uh, I'm writing a comedy, six part comedy, fantastic, uh, with a friend. Um, that uh, could be very, could be very exciting. That's brilliant. It's one of, the, one of those things you almost don't want to say anything to sort of jinx it. Yeah. And I, oh, I, no, absolutely. What I've done, I've sometimes talked about stuff so much that I feel like that's akin to doing it. And I feel like it, it is, if you don't say anything about it, you just have to do it, mate. You just yeah. have to write, have, have some. I, I do think, though, as as a creative, laziness is is one of, well, not laziness, because laziness has got such a such a negative connotation to it but yeah, like procrastination is procrastination is. yeah like I, there are so many times where i go yeah i'm gonna write a book or i'm gonna write a play and i said yeah. well I, I need a new pad for that i can't i yeah, can't yeah, do that yeah, on a bit of i'm gonna to go it. gonna go get a lovely pad i said oh and then once you've got your pad and it's a well i need a new pen to go on that pad so i'll get a new pad and a new pen and you put them down and you go yeah. oh well that's done for today that's gonna be lovely when oh, i start that's, writing that's that. it <laughs> <laughs> my, my best mate sean dooley i was talking about before he went 
away and I said, right, I'm going to write whilst you're away. And he wrote he, this Batman card. I opened it up and it just said, just write. And it was, yeah. it was that thing. It's almost like the, um, it's like the, uh, uh, what's his name? Seinfeld. Yeah, Didn't Jerry he do, Seinfeld. You say he was going to do a comedy course or something. Just work. Down, he said, just work. Just, you've just got yeah. to do it. And that's, that's the thing. It's, um, you've got to treat it like a, a job. And um, uh, there's a really good book, Stephen King, on writing, which is great, you know, and he talks about, you know, J.K. Rowling as well. It's that idea you, you have to treat it like a job. You have to mm-hmm. sit down and you have to you have to write. I was quite inspired as well by, you know, uh, Queen McDonald. Yes, yeah, yeah. The, you know, who we know, he's a stand-up and he's given up stand-up and he's he's started to writing, writing and he's producing these these books on quite, he's becoming quite prolific and he's doing really well. And it's mm-hmm. inspiring. You go, all right, you just, you need to sit down and you need to put the time in. Mm-hmm. It's that saying about, I don't know, was it Felix Dennis, the publisher or something? He said, people come to me and said, uh, I've got this great idea. He says, I have a hundred great ideas a day. He says, it's no good having a great idea. It's in the execution. Yeah. So you, you have to, you have to actually put that down, get those, bring those ideas to fruition. And you have to, be prepared to fail because I've always had th- I've had that mm. thing that being you know I won't do this I won't I put off doing stand up going because it's it's not quite right yet or I, I won't I'm not going to do this because it's not quite right yeah. yet and suddenly you're 46 and going well you you need to stop procrastinating yeah. and you just put stuff out and let it be rubbish and next time it'll be better yeah that's why I keep working mate because every time most times I do a job I look at it and going that was terrible mate get another job I'll do it better I'll do yeah. it better. <laughs> It's all, that was that. I can I can do better. Give me another go. Give me another job. I can do better than that. When it comes to when you say just write, just work, the the, the difficult thing is, particularly with stand up, I find this with me is that I could sit down in five minutes and I've written a new fifteen minute bit within five minutes. Go yeah yeah. Then I'll do that and I'll do that. But then I could sit down for two hours and not write a single joke, let alone a bit, not even yeah. an idea. Yeah. Oh well, that's that's absolutely it. And I think. I think there's sometimes uh, there are sometimes I'm, I'm I'm forgiving of myself because sometimes I go, do you know what? What I need to do is there will be a, a point when an idea comes and you have to you, know, you have to stop everything. You have to go and live very understanding that like we might be doing something. I go, you know, I go, just wait, wait, wait. I've got I need ten minutes. I need to get this idea down. Yeah. And you get it, and it all comes. It flows out, and it's easily and it's brilliant. You go, this is great. If I get this down now, I've saved myself days of work almost. Yeah. And there are times I think you just have to go, you just have to sit down and plough through and you can sit there for an hour and, and it's rubbish. And Paul Abbott, who's uh, I'm a big fan of and uh, clocking off and shameless and all that, he said, uh, is it him writing his rewriting? Or is that David Mamet? doesn't matter. It's there and it's true. It's one of them. Writing is rewriting. And like writing the radio plays, you write that first draft and it's dog shit. Yeah. And you go, oh, God, but you know it's there and you just have to work it. You, but once you've got that first draft down, you go, do you know what? This this exchange here, this half a page of exchange is great. I'm going to build on that. And things slot into place. And it, you just have to learn that some of it is going, some days are going to be shit and you're going to hate what you've written and just push on. And that's all right. It's all right. Eventually, you'll get to somewhere akin to what you want it to be. Ben, I've got one final question for you, my friend. So who of your celebrity show business friends would you like to see on this podcast? Holy Toledo. Who do you know? <laughs> Johnny's always good value, but, you know, um, get John Bramwell on. John Bramwell, he's um, he's the lead singer of I Am Clute, my favourite band. Okay. And he's, um, he's, he's very good. He's very... He's very good. He's the sort of person who actually the chat in between the songs is as good um, as as the songs, and the songs are some of the best songs you'll ever hear. So that's pretty good. But he's um he's a great storyteller. Uh, there you go. Get John Bramwell on. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Ben, yeah. thank you so much for coming on to the Cal Halbert Podcast. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. The Cal Halbert Podcast. And there you have it, honeys. I'm still Ethel Merman. Uh, I'm not anymore, but I'm still having a lovely day, and I hope your day has been made better thanks to the wonderful Ben Crompton. He's such a funny man, isn't he? If you enjoyed this show, please, please, please share with all your friends, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future podcasts. And if you do enjoy it, please give us five stars. That really, really helps us out. And I shall see you next week. Well, I, I keep saying see you. You won't see me. You won't see me at all. Well, you might. I don't know. don't know when you can start seeing me, but you'll hear me. Uh, five stars, please. 
The Cal Halbert Podcast. You've been listening to a Calvert Media production.